It's all on the record now. Good morning, everyone. It's a privilege and pleasure to uh, to be here with you today and to share in this this service and to worship the Lord together. And I've I've felt the Lord's presence. I had to chuckle a little bit when Adam said I'd always been around because sometimes I feel like that too. But yeah, it's it is it's great great to be with you. Um, I do want to thank you too. Um, you. David and Kate O'Donnell, it's our daughter and son-in-law, missionaries in Central Asia. They were here, and you hosted them very graciously. We were talking to them via Skype this morning, and and they asked us, please, to give their greetings to you. Uh, that uh, they remembered the fun time they they had here with you. So I want to thank you, thank you for that. Um, there is a, and we did have a lot of fun at this men's retreat. They were a bu- great bunch of men, and you know together singing God's praise and fellowshipping and we did do a little eating too but um, you know um, it was it was a, a, a real joy we had a really really great time together there is um, a phrase that's been used in Christian worship since ancient times in Latin it's called sursum cordum but it's the minister says lift up your hearts to the Lord and the people respond, we lift them up. It's been used in introduction to worship and the Lord's Supper and in many, many ways throughout the centuries. I want us to do it at the beginning today. So I'm going to say, lift up your hearts to the Lord. And you say, we lift them up. Okay? Lift up your hearts to the Lord. We lift them up. And that's what I want to talk about today. Lifting up our hearts to the Lord. Let's look at the, the scripture comes from Psalm 24. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Yours may be different in some ways. But Psalm 24 will read the entire, um, the entire psalm. Um, so Psalm 24, beginning with verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Let us pray. Father, may the words of my mouth, the thoughts of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. Open your word that we may hear, draw near to you through it, and be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Lift up your hearts. Let's try it again. Lift up your hearts. To the Lord. Oh, 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 that's right. I'm supposed to say that. Lift up your hearts to the Lord. Now you see. Good. Now, the first thing we need to remember, this psalm is really about lifting up our hearts to the Lord. It doesn't use that exact term. But the first thing that, that comes to mind when you read the psalm, and it might seem like it doesn't fit with the rest of the psalm, but it's very important, is what we have here in, in, the, first, in the first two verses. The earth belongs to whom? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And why is it his? For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Most people today don't think about this. God, the fact that God is is the one who is in charge of the world. God is present. He is working his purposes. It is his and belongs to him. Is not in people's minds. We think it belongs to us. You know, and and the rulers of the world think it belongs to them. Whether it be Donald Trump or Vladimir Putin or Kim Jong-un or whoever it is in, in North Korea, they think things belong to them. They are the ones who are in, char- in charge and it is theirs and they are going to run it and do what they want with it. Uh, I saw a trailer for a movie not too long ago. I can't remember the name of the movie, but it was uh, a time in the future when human beings, uh, through via satellite and so forth, had taken over controlling the weather of the earth. So there were no more tsunamis, no more hurricanes, no more of any of those kind of things. Of course, you can imagine what happens in the movie. I don't know exactly, but obviously some evil person gets hold of that and the earth is about to be destroyed. Which is probably, if we are, when we're in charge, that's kind of what we, we do. But even in our, our own lives, most people's lives, God doesn't have that place. They don't think of him as the one who is being in charge. And so the psalmist, and the, but the psalms, not just in this psalm, but in over and over again, the psalms bring God to the center of our lives. For the people who sang the psalms and those who wrote them, God was a very present reality. He was central. He was there. They knew that and they worshipped him as the one who is central in the world and central in their lives. So the psalmist declares here at the beginning to make that, to establish that quite clearly. The earth, it's the Lord. And the fullness thereof, that means everything that's in it. Not just the real estate, the property that's in it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You may have the deed to your house. I may have the deed to my house or the title to a car or whatever else, but it belongs to the Lord. And my tenure on the piece of land that is my house is um, very tenuous because I will be gone and it will be somebody else's. And it was somebody else's before me. And, you know, a hundred years before that, it was maybe it doesn't belong to anybody. I don't know. But it was... It was somebody else's, you know, but the earth is the Lord's and every, the, uh, the fullness there, everything in it, the world and everybody who dwells in it, you and me, the people who acknowledge God and the people who don't, Lord, the Lord is the owner of, of all because he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. That may seem to be a bit of a, an odd way of speaking to us. Why did you just say he made it? But... 
in the ancient world, the, the people were more amazed at the order of the world than at its existence. And they were afraid and flood and storm of the waters of the earth breaking out and destroying, of the torrential rain that brought the flood. And the sea itself was the place of chaos, of unpredictableness with its storms and so forth. And so they're amazed here, basically saying, he founded it, he established it, and he puts all those things in, in their place. He is the one who sets their bounds and is in control. And so the psalmist wants us to know that first of all, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. He founded it, he established it, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, we belong to him. He is the great creator, the designer, the one who puts everything in its place. Now, then he says something that, that is also very, very astounding, very important. This is the great creator God, all right? The one who's in charge. But then he asks the question, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? You mean there's a great creator, a great ruler of the universe? But I can actually ascend his hill. I can come into his presence. He is the Holy One. I can stand in his holy place. I can come to know him. I can come to have fellowship with him. That is a privilege. Is that really true? Well, the whole Bible from beginning to end says yes. The whole Bible is the story of how God reaches out to bring an alienated and rebellious and sinful and self-centered humanity back into fellowship with himself as a new people of God. That's the whole story from Genesis to Revelation. That's what Christ became a human being, the Son of God becoming a human being in order that we might be brought back into fellowship with the living God. Because the Bible tells us that's what we are made for and that's where our true joy and our true happiness is. And so the psalmist says then, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Who shall really enter in to what we as human beings were made to be? And to the joy, the fellowship, and the joy that God made us to have. And of course, we know we'll enter in only by the grace of God. We're told in the New Testament... In the book of Hebrews, we draw near through the blood of Christ and what he has done for us. The psalmist is not talking directly about that means right now, though that is certainly is true. But he's going to describe the person that draws near. And by so doing, the psalmist invites you and me by the grace of God to be that kind of person. So who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall, who shall stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands, clean of hands and pure of heart. That's not too hard to understand. What does it mean? Clean hands means I do what is right. Of course, since all of us have sinful hands, these have to be hands that have been cleaned by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who takes away the sin of the world, who carried it to the cross nailed it to the cross that we might know it no more. None of us come to him 
uh, and uh, uh, originally with our with clean hands, we come with dirty hands, with filthy hands, with sinful hands, with hands that have done what they should not have done, that have broken the law of God and been hurtful hands. But God comes with the blood of Christ and will clean those hands. We come to them then with clean hands, with lives, with what we do outwardly. And of course, a pure heart, we believe God can cleanse our hearts, can take away the sinfulness within, can give us pure motives as we, as we love God and live for Him. So this, this is not too hard to understand. Those who have clean hands and a pure heart for us through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this next phrase is really my, the heart of what I want to talk about in this psalm. Uh, who does not lift up uh, his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Now, if you have another version from mine, this is, mo- this is the verse that's most likely to be different. Um, in the NIV, it says something like, who does not trust in an idol? Um, Another version says, who does not worship an idol? They don't, the ver- lots of the versions don't like to li- leave this imagery here. Who does, has not, who does not lift or has not lifted um, uh, up his soul to what is false. Now it's true. We don't go around talking about lifting up our souls to things. That's not common, normal, everyday English. But this is poetry. And you can, it's not hard really to understand what lifting up the soul means. Um, It's very understandable for us. We can understand that idiom very, very well. Let me give you a couple of illustrations of what it means to lift up one's soul. You know, I won't ask you to raise your hand and tell you however, how many of you have ever been in love, but you'll understand what I'm going to talk about here. You know, when a young man, and I'm going to do it from the man's point of view, because obviously I'm a man, I can't do it from the woman's point of view, but I think it's somewhat similar. When a young man falls in love with a woman, and he comes walking in the room where she is, to whom is he paying attention? The room may be full, but he will see only one person. And if you try to talk to him, he may try to be polite and answer you, but you're very likely going to get the impression that he's not really hearing you. That no matter how he may be trying to pay attention to you, his mind is somewhere else because it is somewhere else. He's thinking about that one person on the other side of the room that he wants to get to or to speak to, or if, he, if the relationship hasn't gone that far yet that he really would like to get to know and to speak to. That She is the one that is filling his mind and his heart. She is the one to whom he is lifting up his soul. Do you follow me? And he'll go out and you'll think about her. And throughout the day, he will be lifting up his soul to her. Are you with me? You understand? Or we can lift up our soul to other things. Some people lift up their soul to their job. It consumes them from morning to night. That's what they think about. That's what they're focused on. The success of it and what they need to do. They lift up their soul 
unto, unto their job. Some people, now I'm, now I'm going to really get to meddling here. So, you, you know, you have to bear with me. Some people lift up their soul to football. You know, all they want to talk about is the game and who won and who lost. Not, nothing's bad to watch a football game. But I'm just telling you, you know, I, you know, I'm not, this is an easy one for me to talk about. I have other temptations that, because I'm not a real football fan. I tell you what, what I do, uh, usually uh, before I go to church Sunday, you know, I want to find out who won and who lost in the basics because everybody's going to be talking about it that next day. And I don't want to be too ignorant. But um, you know what I mean? There are people for whom that's their whole life. That is, that is the main thing. They're going, they lift up their soul to that. You can go on and add other things on. It's possible to lift up your soul to some things that are good, some things that are not as good. Um, sometimes we can even lift up our souls to our families. That's what we're thinking about. That's what we're concerned about. That's what we're giving ourselves for. We lift up our soul unto it in, in, in our interest, in our love, and in our devotion. But here the psalmist says, the psalmist says, don't lift up your soul to what is false. They don't, do not lift up their soul to what is false. Now, several versions, including the NIV, want to interpret that as an idol. And the psalmist may well have been referring to idols, lifting up your soul to idols. But he had the word for idol. He could have said idol, but he did not. He uses the word falsehood, or translated in English, what is false. And he does that, even if he's thinking of idols, he does that intentionally, and we should respect his intention in that regard. Don't lift up your soul to what is false. The idols certainly are false. What is false? What is false? Anything that deceives you. And here it's anything that promises to give you ultimate joy, anything apart from God himself. If anything else is what you ultimately lift up your soul to, lift up your heart to, if your focus and devotion is on anything else, be it good. I mean, we could talk about lots of things. Some people could say lift up their soul to drugs. That's obviously evil. Be it e evil or even if it is one of the good things. If that is what you lift up your soul to ultimately, if that is what you focus your life upon, let me tell you, friends, it will be false. Whether it be football or even the human person that you love, as good as and right as loving them is, if your ultimate goal and you think your ultimate satisfaction will be in anything short of God, it is an idol and it is false and it will let you down. When God is the one to whom you lift up your soul, everything else falls in place. Your love for your wife, your husband, your children, those things fall into their proper place. You know, the best thing, if you want to, if you want to bless your children, you know the best thing you can do, don't you? Love God. Yes. You love God, they will be blessed. If you put them in the place of God, they, they will be blessed far more if you love God, uh, put, put him in his, his place. So here we are urged, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, but lifts up his soul to God. The next line then, and is not, does not, uh, who does not, uh, who does not swear deceitfully. Some translations who don't swear by an idol. That may be part of the idea here too. But you know, if we lift up our souls to anything but God, 
we will, we will be living in deceit. Because we will be acting like something else can satisfy and it cannot. And so we have to rationalize. We have to explain what we're doing. You know, um, we human beings are great at rational. You know what rationalizing is, don't you? Rationalizing is uh, making an excuse for what I'm doing. <laughs> when I really know I should. And we're, we can do that so easily. We played a little game once over a lunch forum that I was at and they said okay this corner of the room is foxes this is bears this was something else whichever one you are you go to that corner choose and we all split up and then they went looked at the people in the fox well why did you choose to be a fox and people started explaining reasons and then all of a sudden everybody realized that those reasons were not real that we all chose before we had a, a conscious reason and when asked why, we made it something up to explain why we had gone to the corner. The whole point was to, sh to show how easily we make up reasons and excuses for doing what we do. If, we do, if God is not the center of our lives, we will continually we'll make excuse for that. We will, try to, we will be living in deceit and self-deception. Do you know how dangerous that is? The Christian faith begins with repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent means admit what you've done is wrong. Turn away from deceiving yourselves. Let God's truth and God's light, light flow into your life. And so we are called then to lift up our hearts unto the Lord. Not simply as a, a part of the liturgy of a service. Not simply in the service of worship, though that is certainly there, but to lift up our hearts to the Lord throughout all of our lives. For Him to be the focus of our worship, the center of our joy. And when He is that, He does not disappoint. You know, friends, everything else wears out. We can see it quickly with things that addict like, like drugs. You know very well that a person who starts on drugs has to have more and more to get the same thrill until finally they're not getting any thrill. They're only absolutely in pain if they do not have it. And other things work that way too, if not as fast. Any, kind of, any human pleasure that you sent your heart on, if you make that your focus in your God, it will disappoint you. You will have more and more for less and less, and then it won't, it won't satisfy you like it once did. But that is not true of the Lord. It is, the old song, Sweeter as the Days Go By, is really true. Jesus is sweeter as the days go by. And as you walk with him, the, in obedience to him, the joy of following the Lord grows in your life. A few years ago, I was... At my fiftieth um, high school graduation, I hadn't seen any of them for fifty years. You know, they only found me because of the internet. So you know, so you know, I'm, I'm going back in there. I walk in there. I look around, and some of them have accomplished something. Some of them are trying to pretend like they accomplished something. Some of them are just being normal people. But I, I looked around at that group and I thought to myself, if you've come to this place in your life, 
and you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. There's nothing else you've done or you've received that really satisfies. But if you have Jesus, it doesn't really matter anything else. Uh, one of the reasons I went was to try to maybe witness to some of them. But, um, but, uh, but I was so, it was such gladness because at this point in my life, I know Jesus. And he is the fullness of my life. And I have true joy in him. I'm not a frustrated, disappointed, disillusioned old man. I've gone through things in life that could make you like that. But I have Jesus, and I have the joy of the Lord in my heart. And so this is the psalmist is encourages the person who will dwell in God's presence, doesn't lift up his soul to what is false, to what will disappoint. That person lifts up his soul to the Lord. He doesn't swear deceitfully. He doesn't have to live in a life of deceit, of self-deception, because he has the joy of the Lord in his life. Who, does not, who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and is not sworn deceitfully. That person will receive blessing from the Lord. What could be worth more than blessing from the Lord? What, you say, well, what does it mean? What is the blessing? Well, it's quite comprehensive. We often talk about the Lord has blessed us with many things, and he has. He's blessed us with, we have a very comfortable place to live. He's blessed us, at, at here in my 70s, he's blessed us with, um, with good health. I have all of those things for with which you can say he's blessed us. But the blessing from the Lord is something greater. It may include those things. Sometimes there are difficulties in, in this life as well. But the blessing from the Lord is deeper than that. It's his own presence. It's the blessing of his own joy. It's the blessing of eternal life. It's the blessing of knowing that the fellowship we have with him in this life is only the beginning that it will be with him forever. This person has received a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Oh, my friends, this person is in right relationship with God. There's free and open channel of communication with his Lord, with the one who is the God of his salvation, who blesses, who saves, who delivers, who delivers from that person from sin and who, us from sin and who, who has an eternal salvation for us. This receives righteousness from the Lord. I can't be right with the Lord on my own, but God gives it to me from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. We talk about a lot about generations these days. I was telling me the other day, I've escaped that. My children came up with some name for my generation. But I was born several years before the official beginning of the baby boomers. And so I'm not a baby boomer. I'm not a, bust, a baby buster, whatever it is. I'm not a, from, the, from the, whatever it is, the X generation. I'm certainly not from the millennial generation. I told somebody I can talk to millennials, it's no problem. 
I have to go out inside and scream, and then I can come back in and talk to them. But, you know, uh, but um, that was really not nice of me to say, was it? I shouldn't have said that. But um, uh, we talk a lot about the generations, who we are, and the different characteristics. You hear the psalmist says, such is the generation of those who seek him. What does it mean? It means whether you're a buster or an exer or whatever you are, the greatest generation, a millennial, whatever you are, you can be part of the generation of those people who seek God. Amen. You can be part of the generation of the people who lift up their, their souls to the Lord, who through the blood of Jesus Christ know Him and worship Him and love Him and have made Him central in their lives and in their devotion. Whatever your birth generation, you can be part of this generation. Such is the generation of those who seek Him. Who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Who hunger for Him. The message, I love the way the message translates one of the Beatitudes. The Beatitude is, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The message translates it, blessed are those who have an appetite for God. Who seek God. Such is the generation of those who seek Him who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Now, when the psalmist gets to this point in the psalm, it's almost like he said all he can, he just can't, he doesn't want to say, he can't say anything more about lifting up his heart to the Lord. He's, he's just got to do it. You know, he's been talking about it and he's got to do it. And so in these next verses, it's as if the psalmist breaks out in actually lifting up his heart to the Lord in worship, lifting up his soul to the Lord in worship. Because he begins addressing, uh, lift up you, your heads, O gates, the gates of the temple in which God will come in. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. Why? That the King of glory whom we seek may come in. It's as if we are lifting up, we can talk about lifting up the doors of our heart. Lifting, lifting them up to the Lord, opening to the Lord, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory, they say? Who is he? Who is this King of glory? The Lord, the Lord God of Israel, the Lord our Savior, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle, it is He, God, who comes into us, to our worship, who is present when we worship, who comes into our hearts. And the psalmist is rejoicing in that. Lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, ye ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. And he does it again. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors. Open yourselves to God, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? And the psalmist ends the psalm by describing who that is. The Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And you see that term often in your Bible, Selah, which is from Hebrew, can't be translated, but... The best understanding is, pause, re, re, listen to this. Let this sink into your hearts and your minds. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory.
And so what I would leave with you today from this psalm is lift up your hearts unto the Lord. Lift them up in worship today. But may your whole life be a lifting up of your heart unto the Lord, a love and a devotion for God your Savior, where he becomes this and is the center of your life and your joy and your delight. I assure you, you will not be lifting up your heart to something that is false. I assure you, you will be lifting up your heart to the one who satisfies, who, who delivers from sin, who gives us a clean, clean hands and a pure heart, and one who satisfies the deepest longing of the human heart. For you were made for him. And when you lift up your heart to him, you're doing what you were made to do and what God made you to do, that you might know the fullness of joy that he has planned for you. So say it with me, please, one more time. Lift up your hearts unto the Lord. Amen.